0: We're going to be turning to the book of Luke, as we've been reading previous. But today we'll be in chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. Um, It'll be in your pew Bible in the front as well. Please follow along with me as I read. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured all of these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for this time to gather together to praise and worship and meditate on the things you have done for us. God, I thank you for our Savior, your Son, who was given to us. So that we may maintain relationship with you, God. I uh, pray that you would uh, give Bruce the words to speak, that you would give us hearts and ears to listen. Thank you in your name, amen.
1: Fear not. This is the third time that the angel has said here in the first two chapters of Luke's gospel for us not to be afraid. So fear not, do not be afraid, which is somewhat unusual or ironic, whatever you want to think of it, since surveys reveal that more people are more afraid now than ever before in recent history. And of course, the coronavirus has caused a lot of this, it's caused increased fears and worries among people across our state, country, and even around the world. Here we have the angels' command, don't. Be afraid. In fact, what we have seen in this series so far is that this is really God's loving invitation to trust Him. The devil wants to rob us of our joy by sowing fear in our hearts, but God wants to set us free from our fears. And right here in the Christmas story, God shares with us, He he gives us here, records for us in the Christmas story, several reasons why. We can trust Him. You might remember in the first lesson here, we, Zachariah shows us that we can trust God because He remembers His promises. And God fulfills those promises in His Son, Jesus Christ. And last Sunday, we saw that Mary shows us that we can trust God because He is with us. And nothing is impossible with God. And of course, in this All too famous of Christmas stories here in the passage of Luke chapter 2. The shepherds here show us that we can trust God now because a Savior is born. Notice the shepherds here. They go from sheer terror of seeing God's glory to this great joy of hearing the good news of Jesus' birth. And what the shepherds saw out in the fields at Christmas night absolutely terrified them. And we can hardly imagine how terrified these shepherds were when suddenly, with with no warning whatsoever, an angel showed up in blazing glory. In fact, it's somewhat difficult to describe the dramatic significance of that moment. Luke simply says it this way in verse 9, "...the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear." Now the full impact of this moment hits home if you consider just what the glory of the Lord is. Simply defined, the glory of the Lord is the presence of God revealed in light. And this light is so powerful that if God revealed it fully to human beings, they would be incinerated at once. And so it's a somewhat understandable here to, un- to see that these shepherds were absolutely terrified by what they were seeing, what is happening to them on that night. This was such a frightening experience that the first thing the angel had to tell the shepherds was, fear not. And then the angel tells them why they don't have to fear in verses 10 and 11. And of course, it's a familiar passage. You know it, but look what it says again. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy, that we, that will be for all the people. And unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Now this is incredible. The angel came to proclaim the good news of Jesus' birth, and this good news brought great joy, which is the opposite of great fear. And what I want us to do is now look at the good news of Jesus' birth from the perspective of these shepherds. Notice, first of all, Jesus' birth was announced to the shepherds. God sends the angel to announce the good news of Jesus' birth, but what's really astonishing is who God sends the angels to. Because if you were a public relations agent in charge of getting out the news of Jesus' birth, let me tell you, the last group of people you would have picked to be first to inform would have been this small band of shepherds. Instead, you would have targeted the influencers of the world, the, the real movers and shakers of the day, such as the religious leaders, maybe even the chief priest or, or King Herod or even Caesar Augustus in Rome. But none of those alternatives were God's options for revealing the news of Jesus' birth. Instead, God sent an angel to one of the unlikeliest groups of people imaginable lowly shepherds. Now what's interesting about these shepherds is they were one of the most despised and disrespected groups of people at this time in Jewish history. It's astounding therefore that God chose to announce the birth of his son to just such a group, a bunch of smelly shepherds. Luke doesn't tell us much about who these shepherds were. In fact, no adjectives are used to describe them. All it says in verse 8 is at is, and in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. What we do know is that shepherds made up the lowest class of people in Jewish history, coming in just ahead of the lepers. And because of this, shepherds were considered very unclean, ceremonially unclean, that is. In fact, because of the nature of their work, they were unable to attend any religious services, They were physically dirty, they were smelly, and what's worse is the religious leaders considered them to be spiritually dirty and unclean. Shepherds lived in isolation. They were often forgotten. Their flocks needed to move around to find fresh grass and water, and they never stayed in one place for very long. And so they, they lived with their sheep lived in isolation and easily forgotten. Shepherds were treated with contempt and mistrust. They were universally known. They had this reputation of being thieves, and because they were so unreliable, their testimony was not even acceptable in a court proceeding. Shepherds were known to be brash, to be bold. They were considered on par with gypsies and Tax collectors of the day, and most shepherds were poorly educated and poorly paid. And so it's easy to see why shepherds felt unworthy, felt inadequate, and probably even unloved. And that's what makes this story all the more remarkable. God entrusted the greatest message ever sent from heaven to the shepherds first. Thus, when Jesus came, he did not go. First to all, the people of influence, the people of prestige, the the people of clout. No, Jesus came first to the poor and the lonely, the meek and the afflicted. Anyone who was disrespected and despised. And the shepherds fit that category. Think of it this way. These lamb, lamb keepers were the first to hear that the Lamb of God had just been born. Number two we see that Jesus' birth is good news. It is good news of great joy. Christmas is all about good news of great joy. And here's why in verses 10 through 12. Look at it again. And the angel, and I want you to notice in particular that the angel here is singular, not plural. The angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people." For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. So what is the good news of great joy? Well, it's obviously, it's about the birth of a Savior. That's the good news of great joy. But I want us to also notice that it includes a death and a resurrection of that Savior. Luke's Gospel begins here with the birth of Jesus Christ. And by the time you get to the very end of Luke's Gospel, you discover that this good news includes the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. In other words, the good news of great joys includes the cross and the empty tomb, but it begins here in a manger. A Savior is born. But it's not just any Savior. The angel is rather very specific about the birth of this Savior. In fact, notice here, taken right out of Luke's Gospel here, three observations, three truths about the Savior. Savior is born this day in the city of David, we're told. This means the Savior's birth happened on a real day in history. Not a fantasy day in some mythological imaginary story. In fact, according to verse 1, a day when Caesar Augustus was the emperor of Rome and Quirinius was governor of Syria. It was a day planned in eternity before the creation of the world. And if you go to Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, it happened on a perfect day, at the perfect time appointed by God. The Savior's birth also happened not just on a real day in history, but a in a real city. Not in Narnia, not in Middle Earth, not in a galaxy far, far away, but it happened where? In the city of David. And according to verse 4, this city is called Bethlehem, some five or six miles from Jerusalem. Now Bethlehem, the city that the prophet Micah predicted Jesus would be born in. And so we're told... A, Savior is born this day in the city of David. But we're also told a Savior is born who is Christ the Lord. And the angel identifies who this baby is with, very, with three very distinct titles. He says a Savior who is born or who is Christ the Lord. If you've ever sinned against God, then you desperately need a Savior, right? That's all of us here. Someone who will save you from your sins. Someone who now has authority, has power to forgive your sins. Therefore, a Savior was born. And this Savior, Luke tells us, is Jesus Christ the Lord. And Christ, that name means the Anointed One, the Messiah. Jesus Christ is the long-predicted, long-awaited Messiah who would fulfill all the hopes and dreams of Israel. This baby is also Jesus Christ, the Lord. Now, there may be an authority in the city of Rome, a Caesar, an emperor, but this little child, this baby who was born in Bethlehem, he is the one with sovereign authority. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the one before whom emperors bow and presidents bow, and nations bow, and according to Philippians 2, verse 10, at His name, at the name Jesus, every knee shall bow and tongue confess that He is Lord of all. So a Savior is born, but not just any Savior. A Savior is born this day in the city of David. A Savior is born who is Christ the Lord. But get this, a Savior is born for unto us. Now we typically expect a birth announcement to say something like born to Mr. and Mrs. so-and-so. Or born to Mr. and Mrs. Smith. But notice what the angel says in verse 11. For unto you. Unto you is born. It's almost verbatim what the prophet Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6. For unto us a child is born unto us. A son is given. Isn't it surprising? It's not necessarily what we expect to hear. For unto you is born. These words are kind of like a tag on a Christmas present that says to. And you put the person's name. And from, you put your name. In the same way, the angel is placing a tag on the manger that said to. And that's you. That's us. is to the world. From whom? From God. Here, the good news takes on a rather very personal significance now. The Savior was born for you. And it's the difference between simply wishing for a Savior and having a Savior that we can believe in, that we can trust in, that makes all the difference in the world. So what does this mean? Well, Christmas is this Friday, obviously. And here, millions of people around the world will celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. So what does it all mean? What's the practical ramifications of this? Well, notice number three: Jesus' birth means God's glory and our peace. When the angel proclaimed this good news a great joy to the shepherds and pointed them to the manger where the angels, where the Savior lay, suddenly we see now an army of angels appears in the sky. Evidently, one angel can bring the good news of Jesus' birth, but it's not enough for just one angel to respond to the good news of Jesus' birth. Rather, that demands an army of angels who are praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. So do you see the connection here? Do you see the connection... Or do you see how the Savior's birth is connected to God's glory in our peace? First and foremost, God is glorified. Why? Because a Savior is now born. And second, peace is spread everywhere across the world where this Savior is now received. The birth of the Savior is the greatest revelation of God's glory. And this Savior will bring, bring peace on earth. Isaiah. He proclaimed the same thing already. That this peace the Savior would bring in Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7. It says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And Listen. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. But that begs the question, doesn't it? Especially in this year. In this tumultuous year. If Jesus came to bring peace, then why? Why is there still so much chaos, conflict, so much hatred and hostility? Violence and vengeance. And yes, lots and lots of fear. More fear than ever before, it seems like. Well, the Bible doesn't leave us guessing. It actually explains it in a very straightforward way. It's because people continue to ignore God and to reject His Son, the Savior, Jesus Christ. It's as simple as that. Now, the news media will never define it that way, never tell you that. But according to Psalm 2, it actually all begins with the question of why, which is what everybody is really asking in our culture today and around the world. Why? Why this? Why? Why is this happening? That's the question everyone seems to be asking right now. In verse 1 in Psalm 2 ask Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? In other words, why is there international conflict? Why is there individual confusion? Why is there so much chaos and conflict, hatred and hostility, violence and vengeance and yes, fear? In the psalmist sees what we see even today. No peace in this world. And so he asks the most obvious question that we're all asking, Why? Well, the answer quickly flows from his pen in verses 2 through 3 of Psalm 2, where he writes, "...the kings of the earth rise up, and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed." That is Jesus, the Messiah, saying, "...let us break their chains and throw off their shackles." In other words, the world leaders have decided that they don't want to be accountable to God... And their counsel is to reject God and to reject His Son, Jesus Christ. This is why there is a lack of peace in our world. What do you expect when you turn your nose up at God? Mankind is the reason there's no peace in our world. But understand God's purpose. This is beautiful. God's purpose is not thwarted when mankind shakes its fist toward heaven. Psalm 2 goes on to describe God's response to this human rebellion in verses 4 through 6, where it says, The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in His anger and terrifies them in His wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. Listen, God is merely biting His Time. He is waiting for that perfect moment to announce that enough is enough. At that time, God will put an end to all rebellion. And He will enthrone His King, the anointed Messiah, upon this earth. Then and only then will there be peace on earth. That's the way it has always been. That's the way it will always be until the Savior, who was born, returns. At that time, when the Prince of Peace rules the earth and the government is upon his shoulders, there will be, in the words of Isaiah, no end of peace. Just think of it. No end of peace. There will be individual peace and there will be world peace because of the presence of the very Prince of Peace. But again, that begs another question. What about now? What about now? What about for us? Is there any hope for peace today? Or are we simply relegated to living in fear as long as we're living on this earth? And the answer is, yes and no. Yes, we will never experience world peace until Jesus comes again to establish his government on this earth. The politicians may tell us that's their goal, but it will never be achieved by them. The UN can never achieve world peace. It doesn't matter what treaties we embark on, we sign on, it doesn't matter who sits in the White House, there will never be world peace until the Prince of Peace comes. But no, that doesn't mean we can't experience peace with God now. When we receive Jesus Christ and trust Him as our Savior and Lord. So, as the angel says to the shepherds, listen, it still applies to us today. Don't be afraid. Why? Because a Savior is born. A Savior is born. Listen, because of that... What happened in history 2,000 years ago, because that is real, because that took place, that means that the fear of God is replaced by peace with God through faith in Jesus Christ. Remember what the angels sing? Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom He is pleased. And who is God pleased with? Well, He's not pleased with the whole world. God is pleased with those who who receive His Son, Jesus Christ, as their Savior, as their Lord, as their King. It's these people who experience God's peace. Now, the problem is, We don't think we need a Savior to save us from our sins. You see, we think we're like Norman, who wrote a letter to Santa Claus. How many of you know Norman? Let me introduce you to Norman. Dear Santa, there are three little boys who live at our house. There is Jeffrey, he's two. There's David, he's four. And there is Norman, he's seven. Jeffrey is good, some of the time. David is good some of the time, but Norman, he's good all of the time. I'm Norman. But we are not Normans, are we? We are sinners who need a Savior. And so our greatest need, yes, is peace with God. And this peace is not a feeling. It's not chestnuts roasting on an open fire or jack frost nipping at your nose. Listen, this peace, it's a state of peace following a state of war. War? Yes, war. What war? What are you talking about? Well, it's my war, it's your war, and it's humanity's war with God. Paul describes it this way in Romans 8, verse 7, where he says, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. In other words, at war with God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Billy Graham, in his book, Peace with God, writes, The greatest warfare going on in the world today is between mankind and God. People may not realize that they are at war with God, but if they don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior, God considers them to be at war with Him. But Romans 5.1 gives us this great news, this good news, When Paul writes, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have what? What do we have with God after we've been justified by faith? Paul says we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior who was born. Justified. It simply means that God declares you to be righteous in his sight. It's a marvelous term. And He does this by imputing to you the righteousness of His Son, Jesus Christ. In other words, crediting to your account, to you. It's yours. Jesus' righteousness is now your righteousness. And God does that how? By faith alone. And so when we believe in Jesus as our Savior and Lord, we are now united to Him And his righteousness is counted by God as our righteousness. In other words, we are now justified by faith. And the result of that justification is what? We are now peace with God. We've been reconciled to God. God's wrath, get this, is now turned away from us. Our rebellion against Him is overcome. God adopts us into His family, and from now on, all His dealings with us are for our good. God will never be against us. He's our Father. He is our friend. We have peace with God that we can never lose, regardless of what the world is like. It's a peace that is eternal. As the carol goes, peace on earth, mercy mild, God in sinners reconciled. Peace with God. This is the kind of peace the angels proclaim to the shepherds. This is the kind of peace that Jesus brings as the Savior. This kind of peace is the most wonderful message that the angels could proclaim and that the world has ever heard. And the question is, do you have it? Do you have peace with God? If you don't, then what better time than now to trust Him as your Savior and Lord? And if you do have peace with God, then let me encourage you, in fact, even challenge you, to do what the shepherds did. Like the shepherds did something? Yes! You're like, what did they do? Notice it in verses 15 and 17. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Hey, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And so what did they do? And they went with haste. And they found Mary and Joseph and the baby Lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And then you drop down to verse 20. It says, and the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. A Savior is born. Now what? Do as the shepherds did. That's what. Do as the shepherds did. And what did the shepherds do? Witness and worship. Witness and worship. Do you see what the shepherds did after the Savior is, was born? They started witnessing about it, and they started worshiping. This is what the good news of Jesus' birth does. It brings us to faith in Jesus, and then it leads us to witness about this Savior who was born, Jesus Christ, and to worship Him as our Lord. again, Shepherds were one of the most despised groups of people in Jewish history. And yet God chose them to be the first witnesses and worshipers of His Son, Jesus Christ. And now, think of it. We, we here this morning, we get to fill the role of those same shepherds. To do what they did. To to tell others about the good news of Jesus' birth and to worship God for his gift of the Savior. In fact, you notice again what Luke tells us in verse 20 about the shepherds. It says they returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And so just think what a difference a day makes. What a difference a day makes. On the, day Christ, on the day before Christ was born, these shepherds were in the fields just tending their sheep, and it was just a day as usual, like a normal every other day. On the day after Christ was born, though, they were also back in the fields once again tending their sheep, only this time they were witnessing and worshipping. What's really significant here is that the shepherds, it says, return. Return. Return to where they had started. They went back, that is, to their dirty, smelly job of tending sheep in the fields. Having seen the babe in the manger, it was now time to go back to work. And so they did and so must. Christmas will come to an end. And soon enough, we will take down the tree, even this tree, your tree, in your house. We'll pack away all the decorations and either enjoy our gifts or try to return them and get a different one. And in a few days, most of you will go back to school or you will even go back to work and we will enter into a new year here soon. And the question is, will we do what the shepherds did? Will we witness and worship like the shepherds did? Will we witness to those in our circle of influence about how this Savior's made a difference in our life, how this Savior has given us inner peace, peace that is eternal, in the midst of a tumultuous, chaotic world in which we live? A world where there is no peace, but yet in the midst of that, I have peace. I have a calm that cannot be explained by this world, but only by a Savior. Let me share it with you. And will we worship our Savior? Both personal worship, yes, and corporate worship, like even now. Folks, what we are doing here is important. It is significant. And even though it's half our congregation, it's still significant. So don't count this, what you are doing here this morning, as insignificant, as minor, and as trivial, and it doesn't matter if I come or not. No, it matters a great deal. Witness in worship, now and in this coming year. And yes, I would even plead that corporate worship, in person, where we are able to do so, is significant. And yes, your personal worship. I would challenge you, what is your plan going forward in 2020? Personally worship. Your Bible reading plan. Let us do what the shepherds did. Why? Because we have experienced the Savior. We know the Prince of Peace. So let us witness about it and let us go forth worshiping our Savior. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you what the angels proclaimed about the birth of Jesus Christ as a Savior and the peace that he brings to our lives. We thank you that this peace is not something that we earn. It's not something that we can lose either. But it is reconciliation with God. We thank you and we praise you for your grace and mercy to us. Lord, convict us, change us, transform us, and we pray this peace the angels proclaim would evidence itself in our lives through faith in your Son, Jesus Christ. We praise you for your grace to us through Him. May we leave here and now do what the angels did, witnessing and worshiping you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Again, let me just encourage you to continue, finish out the year strong giving, either in person or online, and we appreciate your faithfulness here in this year of 2020, and uh, two Sundays left, counting today, and so want to encourage that, also encourage you to participate in our Christmas offering, it's an opportunity for us to show Christ to people in need, and And the offering funds our benevolence ministry for next year. So if you haven't already, let me encourage you to take part in that. Give towards this offering. You can give any time between now and the end of the year. And uh, if you give in person, uh, we want to encourage you to use giving envelopes. And uh, your box set of giving envelopes is available at the info center back there. Please go back there at the end of the service and pick those up. And, uh, and then, of course, if you're in need of any kind of help, let us know. Reach out to us. We'd love the opportunity to help you, whether with food assistance or financial assistance. May the blessing of the angels, as you leave here this morning, be yours this week. I want to encourage you. Go in peace, knowing that the God who is highest gives grace to the lowest through His Son, Jesus Christ. And may the burden of the shepherds be yours as well. And so go with joy. Yes, worshiping God and witnessing to others all that you have seen and heard. Merry Christmas.